How are you doing this morning? Good. So good to see you. Hey, we want to welcome everyone online. Can we welcome everyone online watching with us today? I just want to remind you that about 50% of our church is still uh, connected and engaged online. So we're thankful that you're uh, watching with us. Um, hey, tomorrow is Valentine's Day. And uh, I just wanted to uh, give flowers to my Valentine, to someone who is amazing that uh, you just saw her on the video, but uh, she is behind the scenes all the time, loving, supporting, praying for you. She is the best wife, and now we can debate that later, uh, and uh, she's just amazing. Would you welcome my wife, Brienne? Come on up here. I love you. Can you give it up for her one more time? Well, it's good to see you this morning. I'm glad that you're with us. I hope those of you who've joined a tribe, I hope it's going well and that uh, you're feeling connected and engaged in what God uh, is doing at Red Hills Church. Um, if you're new, my name is Aaron Hanson. I'm the lead pastor, and uh, I love our church. At our church, we like to say this, that it's a church where it's okay to not be okay. Uh, that is one of our cultural values at our church, that you can come as you are. My hope and my prayer is that you are changed by the grace of Jesus can somebody say amen? Well, we're in a series. We started last week called The Five Most Important Decisions That You'll Ever Make. It's a pretty audacious title, isn't it? That out of the, we calculated it last week, the one billion decisions that you'll make in your life. 35,000 every single day you make 35,000 decisions, most of them are out of habits that you have formed, and a billion decisions that you'll make in a year, I want to talk about the five most important ones. I want to reduce one billion to five. This is why decisions are important. Your destination in your life is determined by your decisions. Your destination is determined by your decisions. Your trajectory, where you are headed, are determined by the choices and decisions that you make in your life. Your life is not determined by your intentions. It's not determined by your wishes. It's determined by your decisions. At our church, we believe that God has given us free will and that the human responsibility and God's sovereignty mysteriously work hand in hand together. But your destination, your prophetic future is determined by the decisions that you make. And so we're looking at five decisions around five topics and themes. And here they are. The first one we talked about last week, talked about faith. You got to have faith, the faith, the faith. Come on, George Michael, somebody can sing it better than me. All right, we're, today we're going to talk about family. We're going to talk about family. Next week we're going to talk about friends. And then we're going to talk about finances. And then we're going to talk about your future. Your destination is determined by your decisions. Here's where I want to start out. I want to start out talking about families, but I want to start out talking about culture. Now, oftentimes when we think of the word culture, we think of it in very broad terms. We, we think of it like in terms of a population of people, right? When we think of culture, we might think of American culture, right? The culture that, uh, that, that, that Americans, U.S. citizens have. And even within that, how many of you know you've got different cultures within the U.S.? You've got Southern culture. You've got 
uh, East Coast culture, New England. Have you ever been to Boston? My wife and I put, went our honeymoon in, in New England. We flew into Boston. It's a different group of people in Boston, all right? We spent time in L.A. L.A. has got its own culture. Uh, we lived there for four years. I don't think I said hi to my neighbor once. And the Northwest has a culture. We, we think of culture in broad terms, right? Uh, of maybe ethnicity. We think of Mexican culture. One of my, uh, I'm friends with, uh, with our Spanish-speaking pastor, Irma, and I love talking to her about her culture and, and, and the values that they have, that every group of people have a culture. And a culture can be defined as this. It is a shared uh, attitude, value, and goals and practices of a group of people. Culture is this. It is the way of life. Now, every system or group of people has a culture. Your, your school has a culture. Any George Fox students, raise your hand. Your school has a culture. You may not be aware of it, but your school has a culture. Newburgh High School has a culture. Uh, your workplace has a culture, a shared set of values, attitudes, beliefs, the way of doing life. Church has a culture, all right? Church has a culture, the way of doing life. And listen to this. Every family has a culture, Every family has a culture, and you are a product of your family culture. So there are different kinds of families that we know of. Uh, there are a fam well, family that have cultures that are fun. Does anybody grow up in a fun family culture? Anybody raise your hand. All right, a couple of you. Uh, when my kids were little, they'd always call me the fun one because I'm the youngest of four. I just want to have fun, right? But then I have to be responsible sometimes. But my wife's the responsible one. I'm the fun one. There are families that are serious families. Like, a, you know, we, we don't have have a lot of fun. We're going to be serious about life and, uh, and work and, and all that. There are families that are overachieving families. We need to get straight A's. We need to get 4.0. You need to be valedictorian, right? You need to achieve, achieve, achieve. There are whatever makes you happy family. There are uh, look good on the outside, but we're a little bit of a mess on the inside family. There are fighting families. There are never address anything, a problem with each other type families. Some of you might have grown up in that one where we don't talk about our problems. There are traditional families. There are blended families. There are single parent families. There are foster families and families who've adopted. I could go on and on and on that every family has a culture. And you are a product of your family's Culture. Why is this important? I will tell you why. Because perhaps the most important thing to understand about your family is the culture that your family has. Now, I, I, I did this culture talk with our staff a couple years ago, and I talked about it in the context of the church and as an organization, but I, I want to talk about it in the context of your family. What is more important in your family? Is it the mission or the vision of your family, or is it the culture of your family? What is more important? Here's my argument. It's culture. It's culture. Just like any organization— we can have a great mission at our church, which is to inspire people to know Jesus, but if we don't have a great culture, no one's going to accept the mission. Let me explain what I'm talking about. Um, how many have a favorite restaurant you like to go to? My favorite restaurant is in Portland. I haven't been there for two years. It's called the Screen Door. 
Has anybody been there? All right. All right, yeah, yeah. We can go there sometime. And uh, my favorite meal at the screen door is fried catfish and gumbo, all right? It is a Southern Creole restaurant. I know it sounds kind of weird, uh, but, uh, but it is the best meal. It is my favorite meal in my favorite restaurant. Now, imagine you go to your favorite restaurant and you order your favorite meal. And when the server brings that meal out, they bring it out and the meal looks delicious, but you kind of pan out and you look at the plate. And all of a sudden, you see that the plate is dirty. You see that the plate has food left over from the person before you. Let me ask you a question. Would you send that food back or would you eat it? You'd send it back. 99 out of 100 people, because there's always that one, (laughs) who would eat it, would send that back to the kitchen. In this case, the culture is the plate. The culture is the environment in which the mission or the message is there. How does this relate to your family? Well, some of you trying to raise kids, you want to raise kids in a Christian home. You you want Jesus to be a priority. You want Christ-like qualities in your children. And so you bring them to church. But by the time you get home, there isn't a demonstration of Christ-like character or qualities. Maybe on the way here, you're yelling and screaming at your kids, right? Get in the car. Like we, you know, and then you come and you lift your hands and let's just praise Jesus, right? The culture is what sets up the mission or the vision or the message. If you want your family to be a safe family, I want my kids to trust me and tell me things. But the moment they tell you something confidential, something that they did wrong, You yell at them, you ground them, you take their devices away, right? And so guess what? The next time they have a problem, they're not telling you, all right? You set the culture. You set the culture. Culture is more important than the mission or even the vision of what you want for your family. Now, the Bible gives us a family culture. It gives us a family culture. And how you relate to your family is a reflection of how you relate to God. Listen to this. God has chosen to use family relationships to describe himself and his relationship with humanity. God has chosen to use familial relationships like husband and wife and mother and father and son or daughter to describe his relationship not only with us but even within the triune God, the Trinity. And so God gave us family relationships to reflect his relationship with us. And so the family relationships in your life become the most important relationships in your life. Let me just give you a few scriptures that illustrate this. In Isaiah 64, 8, it says this, yet you, Lord, are our father. We are the clay. You are the potter. We are the work of your hand. Not only is the God of Scripture, the almighty God, the powerful God, but Isaiah calls him our father. Jesus called him his father. So there is this nurturing relationship that we are to have with God. 
This next one is unique. And a lot of people miss this in the Bible. But did you know that the Bible, especially in the Old Testament, often describes our relationship with God as a marriage? All right, you know this in the New Testament where it says that the church is the bride of Christ. But it's also in the Old Testament. And so oftentimes, when Israel loses its way and commits idolatry, the Bible doesn't say they commit idolatry. The Bible says they commit adultery against God. Hosea 2.20 says this, yes, I'll marry you and neither leave you nor let you go. You know me, God, for who I really am. And so God has decided to use the marriage relationship to describe our relationship with him. Where am I going with this? The most important relationships in your life are your spouse, your parents, and your children. The most important relationships in your life are your spouse, your parents, and your children. And these most important relationships are often the most difficult relationships. Why would I say that? Well, I'll give you two reasons. The first one is this, that the people closest to you often hurt you the most. All right? Now, I can take a criticism from a lot of people all right, but it's much harder to take criticism from your own family. All right, the closer people are in proximity of relationship, the more potential there is for a hurt or a wound. That is why many people have wounds that they've carried around with them from their mother or their father. And so uh, the people you love the most often hurt you the most. The second reason is, is that people are easier to love far away than they are to love up close. All right? A lot of times we, we, we love people further away, but when you see people up close, you see all their flaws. You see their insecurities. You see the problems. You see their issues. You see what's wrong with them. How do you how you respond to your family will last generations. You know, the decisions you make today will be remembered by your family tomorrow. That's a sobering thought. Because I guarantee all of us have made some bad decisions with our families. And the decisions you make today will be remembered by your family tomorrow. A lot of times we think our kids are only going to remember the good things about us. <laughs> but your kids will remember the good, the bad, and the ugly. I, I will illustrate this from my own life. Um, I, I never knew my grandfathers. I, uh, my mom's dad died before I was born, and I met my grandfather, my dad's dad, I think once in my life, but I don't remember what he looks like. Uh, I, I don't remember what he sounds like. I don't remember ever getting a pat on the head or a hug, or I don't remember any of that. Um, and when I was in middle school, uh, my grandfather died. And the, the, it, it was like, um, it, it meant about as much to me as the weather report. I mean, I don't remember anyone in our family shedding a tear. I don't remember anyone just like, you know, oh, we are so sad. I don't remember any of that. And, and my dad didn't even go to my grandfather's funeral. And I remember asking my mom, my dad has passed away, and I remember asking my mom, why, why is that? And my mom began to tell me some things that have happened to my dad, right? The, the decisions my grandfather made affect me. Your decisions in life 
They're not only about you, they're about your kids and your grandkids and your great-grandkids. And so the decisions that you make today will affect your family for generations. Now, I'm going to give you some hope in this sermon, by the way, because some of you are thinking, oh, no, I've really screwed up. Well, there's hope and there's redemption. I want to talk about the three most important family relationships, and I want to tell you and describe to you what the Bible says, how we should respond, and how our posture should be in the three most important family relationships. So we're going to look at the son and daughter. Everyone here is a son or daughter. We're going to look at mother and father. We're going to look at husband or wife. So let's start with the one that every single one of you can relate to. Every one of you is a child. It is a child, a son or daughter. By the way, let me just clarify uh, before I go on is that um, knowing that each family is unique and all the dynamics are unique, I am going to teach the clear biblical answer of how we act as a son or daughter, a husband or wife, a mother or father, but how you live that out is unique to your own family and how that is displayed. And so I'm going to give you the truth, but I'm going to expect you to take the application and apply this truth to your own family. Son or daughter. So let's look at the very first verse about son or daughter. Uh, Exodus 20, 12. Many of you know this verse. It says this. Honor your father and mother so that you may live a long life in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. Do you know that this is the only command in scripture that is attached to the longevity of your life? You know, I used to wonder about this as a kid, like, like, well, how do I live a long life if I honor my parents, if I honor my mother or father? I thought maybe in Old Testament times, your mother and father had a choice of how long your life actually lived. And so you, and you honor them, you lived longer. But I think there is something more to this word honor. I think it's important in the posture of a child, this is your role towards your parents, the posture of a child is honor. Honor is one of the most important things to understand as human people. The, the, the Hebrew word for honor, the Old Testament was written in the Hebrew language. The Hebrew word for honor is the word kavod. Everyone say that, kavod. It's also the word for glory. And it literally means weight or heaviness or presence. And, and so to give honor is to give weight or, 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 or glory even, like uh, to, to, to give a respect to other people. And it's often used of giving honor to God. But in this case, it's used to give honor to your parents, to your mother or your father. It's giving value, it's giving importance, it's giving reverence. So how do we honor? We honor with our actions and we honor with our words. And, and, and this is what I've noticed, and I've, I'm sure you've noticed too, is that there is a general lack of honor in our culture, in our society. Many people dishonor one another, they dishonor their family, they dishonor the people around them, they dishonor their elected leaders, they dishonor the people around them. And this is important because of this. That honor uh, is a powerful thing that can happen. And in fact, I will say this, if you want God to move in your life in unprecedented ways, you need to learn how to be a man or a woman of honor. Now, how could I say that? Why is honor so important. I want to take you to a narrative of Jesus. In, uh, in, in Mark chapter 6, verse uh, 4 and 5, uh, it talks about 
it talks about uh, Jesus uh, going to his hometown. You, you remember this story. He goes to his hometown. Uh, and uh, he cannot, the Bible says this, that he cannot do any miracles there. And he says this. He says, a prophet is without honor in his hometown. You see, Jesus went home to Nazareth to be with his family. He could not do miracles there because his own family members, his own friends and the people he grew up with did not honor him. Just think about that. Jesus, now I don't know if he could not or he would not. Maybe it's a combination or both. But Jesus, it says, he could not do miracles in his hometown because of the lack of honor in his hometown. Listen, honor paves the way for the blessing and miraculous in your life. When you dishonor others, you're going to have a spiritual famine in your life. Especially when you dishonor your family. When you dishonor your mother or your father or your husband or your wife. One of the things that Brianna and I made a decision when we were engaged, we made a decision. We said that we were never going to talk bad about each other in front of other people. So you will never hear me. It doesn't matter how close you get to me and how good of friends that you and I become. You will never hear me talk bad about my spouse in front of anyone. Why? Because we believe in honoring one another. It is that important. If you want to see God move in your life, if you want to see blessing and longevity of life, then you begin to honor your mother and your father. Honor paves the way for the miraculous. Let's look at the second role that we have, a mother or father. Now, not all of you are a mother or father. Some of you uh, are desiring to be that. You will be that one day. I uh, suggest that maybe you listen to this part, mother or father. One of the most important lives we get to influence as parents is our children. It, it is a high calling to be a parent. You know, your kids are your first disciples. And you know that you are responsible for discipling your children. The church isn't. Did you know that? All right, you are responsible for discipling your ch children. The church isn't. And children are gifts to us. But how many of you know that they're the most challenging gifts that you've ever had? <laughs> they're a gift that keep on giving, all right? And, I, you know, and some people are beginning, I have teenagers. I have two teenagers now. And they say, well, you know, parenting doesn't get easier when they leave the house, all right? So, and someone told me parenting adult children is harder than parenting younger children. I don't know if that's true. But they're gifts, and parenting is the hardest job in the world. It's harder than anything that I've ever done, is this idea of parenting. To show grace and mercy and love to your kids, yet keep them moving in a godly direction. I, I love what it says in Psalm 127. I love this verse about parenting. It says this. It says, children are a heritage from the Lord. An offspring, a reward from him. Like arrows in the hands of a warrior are children born in one's youth. Blessed is the man whose quiver is full of them. They will not be put to shame when they contend with their opponents in court. The psalmist describes children as arrows. And as parents, 
we pull that arrow out of that quiver and we get to pull back on the bow. Imagine the power that you have and you get to cast that arrow in the right direction. Now, I don't know if you know much about archery, but there is something in archery called the archer's paradox. Have you ever heard of this? A lot of times when you see an arrow come out of a bow, you just see it go straight. To the naked eye, it looks like it's going straight towards the target. But if you were to film at high resolution and slow that down, you would know this, that when that arrow comes out of the bow, the arrows are flexible and it's wobbling all the way to the target, back and forth and back and forth and back and forth and it nails the target. What's my point? Kids wobble. (laughs) Some kids wobble more than others. And kids will make their own choices in life. Your responsibility as a parent is to help them in their wobbling years, but to point them in the right direction. And what is that right direction? That right direction is towards Jesus. We do two things to point them in the right direction. We direct them towards Jesus, and we decide to raise them with Jesus. Why is it important to direct them towards Jesus? Because of this. Because Jesus is perfect, and you are not. If I am the highest authority in my kid's life, then I will continually disappoint them. Because as much as I want to be the best dad in the world, and be godly in my parenting, I make mistakes. And I will inevitably fail my family and fail my children. But what I can do as a dad, more important than looking perfect myself, is to point them to a God who is perfect. To a father who is all loving. To a father who forgives and loves more than I could ever do. And so we direct them towards Jesus. And the second thing is this, is we decide to raise them with Jesus, with prayer and Bible study and attending church in faith. Listen, there is a lot competing for your children's attention. There's so much. And I see people sacrifice faith or church for many other things and options that are available. You get to decide how you raise your children. The posture of a parent is love. The posture of a parent is love. Now, I know some of you thinking, well, what if it's too late? What if it's too late? I feel like I've really screwed up in life. I've hurt my kids. I don't talk to them anymore. They're out of the house. What if it's too late? Let me just say it's never too late. It's never too late. You can always ask for forgiveness of your children. Uh, You can always reconnect with them. In in fact, the difference between uh, uh, a hurt from a parent that becomes a lasting wound, I'll tell you the difference. If you're a new parent, just catch this. The difference is this. It is reconnecting with your child after there's discipline or after there's sin. That's the difference. If, if, if you discipline your child or there's, uh, th- there is disconnection with your child, then the most important thing you can do if you create a wound or you hurt your child, you say something, is to reconnect with them emotionally, physically. It's to give them affection and give them love. It, the wounds develop 
when parents never say, I'm wrong or I'm sorry. By the way, the two hardest words for a man to say is I'm wrong and I'm. See, a lot of you can't do it. <laughs> Thank you, Tony. I remember when I was 22 years old, my dad uh, passed away when I was 24. When I was 22 years old, my dad had cancer. He knew he uh, was at the end of his life. And um, I went home to be with him. Uh, and we were standing outside in the driveway. I vividly remember this. My dad did two things that took me by surprise. The first thing is this. He kissed me. And he kissed me on the lips. <laughs> and it was such a shock and surprise. My dad had never done that to me. And then he looked at me and said, Aaron, if I've ever done anything to you that hurt you, I just want to say that I'm sorry. Never heard my dad say that. You know how healing that is? You know how emotionally healing that is for a soul? I was 22, right? I was a, I was a, I was a grown man. And you know how much that meant to me? It is, parents, listen, it is never too late. It is never too late. We need to get over ourselves in the pride of being right and never being wrong and point our kids to the one who is always right and who is always perfect, to admit your own flaws and your own failures. The posture of a parent is love. If I would encourage you in one thing, if you're gonna err on the, the side of grace or discipline, I, want you to, I would encourage you to err on the side of grace. Err on the side of the grace. Let's look at the final one. Most important relationships that you'll have in your life is your husband or your wife. Your husband or your wife. Now, some of you, I know, you're not married in the room. If you're single, um, well, let me just say this. Paul celebrates singleness. Uh, Paul says, actually, in Corinthians, that it's better to remain single because then you can do the will of God, right, without asking permission from your spouse, right? And so, uh, and, and some of you are single and you want to get married. And so maybe take this and prepare yourself uh, for your future. Husband or wife. Marriage is one of the most important covenants and institutions that God has given us. It is the most intimate way that we connect with one another. And this is why this intimacy with God that God describes his relationship with us as a marriage. Because there is this intimacy. It's one of the most important uh, institutions of Marriage, and God has a very high view of marriage. I mean, really high view of marriage. And it is clear in scripture that marriage is between a man and a woman. Very clear in scripture. Jesus affirms this view in the gospels, by the way, that, that marriage is between a man and a woman. And God has a high view of marriage. It's one of the most sacred institutions that we have. And, and Paul, the apostle Paul, gives us one of the clearest visions for what a marriage should look like. And when I do a wedding, and if I do a wedding of a, of a couple who's just like solid Christians, I ask them if I can read the passage from Ephesians chapter 5. Because everyone who does a wedding, they want me to read 1 Corinthians 13. Right? Love is patient. Love is kind. Love does not envy. You know, love, 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 love. The problem is that chapter isn't about marriage. You know what it's about? It's about getting along in the church. Right? It's right between, it's about the spiritual gifts and the chaos in the church. In the middle of it, Paul says, love one another. Love, 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 love. This is what love is. But the verse on marriage is Ephesians chapter 5. I'm going to read two verses. 
They're a little controversial in today's culture, but I want to read them. I want to explain them to you. So don't check out once I read them. <laughs> Stay with me for the remainder of time. Ephesians 5.22, it says this. Wives, submit to your own husbands as you do the Lord. And Ephesians chapter 5.25 says, Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. The posture of a spouse, husband's wife, listen to this, is submission and sacrifice. Now the problem and why we don't like these words, and especially the words submission, is because it's been used and abused in our culture, and specifically church culture. But let me describe these to you. When Paul says this, that husbands love your wife as Christ loved the church, what did Christ do for the church? He died for her. He laid down his life for her. He gave up his, his very own life, his own agenda, his own will. And so sacrificing for your spouse is giving up everything for her. Giving up your own needs and your own desires and your own wants and your own visions and your own dreams. You sacrifice, you pour out, and you love. Just as Christ loved the church, you sacrifice. The, 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 the path of a great husband is sacrifice. It is not dominance. It is not power. It is not holding something over other people. It is sacrifice. It is laying your life down. And the posture of a spouse is submission. Well, what does submission mean? Submission means to come under and support. A lot of times we think, well, it's about a domineering, you know, hierarchical view of marriage. And, but it's not. Submission is supporting. And it is encouraging. And it is speaking into your husband. And it's telling them what you see. And telling them who they are. Listen, you will have a beautiful, harmonious marriage when there's submission and sacrifice. When both people work together, you'll have a beautiful marriage. Now, I know what some of you are thinking. Some of you are thinking, well, I'm not going to submit until he sacrifices. And I'm not going to sacrifice until she submits. It's the ultimate. I want love and he wants respect. Listen, you cannot control what the other person does. You cannot control the behavior of another person. The only thing that you have power over is how you respond. It's the only thing. You cannot force anyone to do anything. You can try, but you'll create a lasting wound. The only thing you can do is change. It is change. It is change. I love what Romans 5, 8 says this. It says this, Christ died for us while we were still sinners. This demonstrates God's love for you and I. Jesus laid down everything. Let me, let me close this part with, with this. That Jesus becomes the example of a perfect spouse. Both for a husband and for a wife. How is that? Well, what did Jesus do? Jesus laid the ultimate sacrifice. He died on the cross. He laid his life down. 
But not only did Jesus sacrifice, he also submitted. Remember in the Garden of Gethsemane, when Jesus had so much anxiety, he's sweating blood. And he says, Lord, would you take this cup from me? But not my will, let your will be done. He submits to the Father, to the cross. Jesus is the ultimate example for marriage of submission and sacrifice. So here's where I want to land. Decision number two. And this is, I kind of cheated because it's actually three. (laughs) But three questions I have for you. Will I honor my parents? Will I love my children? Will I sacrifice for my spouse? Will I honor my parents? Will I love my children? Will I sacrifice for my spouse? If how we relate to our family is a reflection of how we relate to God, then the closer we are to Jesus, the better we relate to our family. See, the answer to being a great husband and a great father and a great son isn't reading the next great book on being a great father or son or parent. It's getting closer to Jesus. Jesus becomes the example for our life. It's growing close to him. It's growing close to him. Would you bow your heads and pray with me? As I was praying last night for our time together, I realized that um, I think there's three different groups of people in the room. There are those who, um, as we preach this message, you are living with regret. You're living with um, something that you've done in the past, and if you could do it over, you would do things differently. I want to just say this, that God is a God of second chances. Never underestimate the power of asking for forgiveness, not only of God, but also to the people that are closest to you. The second group of people are those, you're in the thick of it. You're in the middle of difficult relationships. And you have very, maybe very difficult family relationships. What should I do? One word, change. Change. It's better to change when you want to rather to change when you have to. A lot of times people come to me when they're on the very last uh, thread of their marriage. They've seen the counselor, they've talked to their family, they've talked to people, and they come to me. And usually it's one is already done. They're already, they're already out. It's better to change when you want to than to change when you have to. And the last one is this. Some of you young people in the room, you're right at the beginning. You're just right at the beginning. What what do you do? You prepare yourself now for your future. The best thing you can do if you plan to get married, plan to have kids, is to prepare yourself now. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you, God, for giving us a picture of of a family, of, of parenting, of marriage, of being a son or daughter. And Lord, I pray that we as a church, Red Hills Church family, that we can grow closer to you, Jesus. And when we do that, we will become better dads, better moms, better parents, better children. God, and I just pray that we press into what you have for us. 
God, that we don't live with regrets. We work out our differences. We ask for forgiveness. And we look to you, Jesus, as the ultimate example. We love you, Lord, and we praise your name. And everyone said, amen.